0: When my first niece um, was was a toddler, she used to call people she used to call people by what their most ob- what was most obvious to her as she looked at them, which could be a little frightening sometimes, um, you know. But uh, she referred to my friend Randy Boltima, uh, you know, my our, our, who I consider uh, really one of my big mentors. Uh, she used to refer to him as bald hair, blue eyes. Because Randy was indeed bald, and uh, had, did, he had piercing ice blue eyes. When I first met Randy, uh, and he sat across the table from me and talking to me, we used to go to a uh, coffee shop before coffee shops were, you know, a thing. Uh, they had set one up, they being the church that Randy attended at that time. They set one up in this lady uh, business, and we're using it as an outreach thing. And we used to go there. Um, not Jenny, I'm not dragging her in on this one. Uh, I used to go there with some others to um, see where we were going to party at. So, when we'd go there and meet and wait for the others to come so we could arrange where we were going to go party, uh, Randy would sit down and talk to us. And he had these piercing blue eyes, and I felt like he was looking right through me and that he knew why I was there, and I wasn't real comfortable with that, you know, at that point. But one day we went over to after Jimmy and I became Christians. We had gone over to Randy and his wife Jean's house for supper, and my sister was there and my my niece was there as well. And Randy and Jean's daughter had on a red dress, and yeah. and, and Abby wanted to say something to her, and she said, "Hey, red thing," and she just went on with. She just went on with, went on with her, her conversation of what she wanted to talk to the red thing about. Um, what do people notice when they look at you? I'm not talking about your clothes. I'm not talking about your bald hair, or your blue eyes. What do they notice when they look at you? What is it that's obvious about you that they see? What is it you want to be obvious? What is it that you want them to see when they look at you? You know, what is that trait that you want to to stick out there to be most obvious in your living? Now, maybe you've never given that much thought, but let me tell you, you should. You should, because people are noticing something about you. You know, they are noticing something about the type of person you are. Uh... I think the verses we're going to look at today will make this very clear, that this is something we should be thinking about. Let's pray before we turn to our passage. Father, thank you for uh, those who teach us in some ways, uh, sometimes in ways that um, we're not even aware of at the moment, but in ways that uh, become very obvious when you bring along different scripture passages, when you bring along different things in our life, uh, different episodes, uh, Wow, it just stands right out there. I pray that you might make your word and your truth stand right out there for us today. That you would help us to see you. Help us to see your hand in our life, your calling for us, your direction, your wisdom, and your grace and your love. Uh, so much that you do often as we as we read and as we meet together. Uh, so continue to make yourself known and continue to mold us more into being the people you want us to be for your glory and honor we pray in christ's name amen all right we're going to be in colossians chapter 3 we're picking up with verse 12 if you want to turn there it's page 1085 in a pew bible uh, verses 12 through 17 really are uh, go together and that's what i had hoped to cover today but that isn't going to happen So there's just a lot of stuff in these that we can unpack, a lot to look at, and I had the choice of either breezing over it uh, and and not really touching on some of this stuff or getting into it a little bit more, getting into it a lot more. I chose a little bit more. Uh, We could have slowed down and got into it a lot more, but um, this may be a good pace. We're just going to do verses 12 through 14 today, and then next, uh, next Sunday we'll pick up Uh, the other 30 verses so we'll follow along verse 12 he says therefore God's chosen ones holy and loved put on a heartfelt compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another just as the Lord has forgiven you so you must also forgive above all put on love the perfect love bond of unity now you notice he starts there once again we have and it was just you know in the verses before therefore came up again here it is again therefore is god's chosen one now he's saying therefore you know not as not as the world lived which is what we looked at last week a little bit in, in five through 12 that came up we're not not as those who reject christ again remember when we, when scripture talks about the world most often it is talking about those who reject god some reject him just in flat out thinking that there is no god some reject him just flat out thinking that you know there is a god but it really doesn't matter or there is a god i'm still going to do my own thing there's a lot of different ways to reject god uh you know so when it's talking about the world here that's what it's talking about those who Are rejecting god and the reality of who he is so you know therefore don't live like those folks who reject christ he says instead you know you're living as god's chosen ones now if you're a christian if you have a relationship to christ you are chosen by god i say that because that's what it says here so it was easy for me to say it you know you're chosen by god you're picked out elected is another another biblical term it it just simply speaks about you know god choosing now god chooses all the way back into the old testament you know this is not something you know just new testament thing you know god god chose many prophets to speak his truth spoke many prophets to uh to have his people called back have those prophets speak and call his people back into a relationship with him back into living as his people when God called Gideon, uh, Gideon said, "He, I, I, I think you have the wrong person here, Lord. You know, it, it, it's, just, it's just not me." Gideon was hiding in a wine press. He didn't want to. Um, he didn't want to get killed. It, you, when you're doing, when you're, he was threshing wheat. You do, would never do that in a wine press because it's an enclosed place. And when you thresh wheat i'm sure you've all been threshing wheat in your backyard and you know how dusty it can be um so that in that wine vat's not where you want well he i love the way he comes up to him yeah hail mighty warrior you know what you know hail you little chicken livers hiding in that thing anyway um uh, you know, God, you know, tells him this, and, and Gideon says, I, "I, just really think you, you are looking in the wrong, in the wrong wine press here, God. Uh, you know, perhaps it's it's someone else." And God says, "This." As the Lord turned to him and said, "Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the power of Midian. Am I not sending you? You are. I am. Are you? Not, you're the one I chose. Go and do this." God chose Abraham, he chose Isaac, he chose Jacob, he chose Israel, the nation. You know, he says, for you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. Uh, the Lord your God has chosen you. He has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. He has chosen you. He goes on a little bit later in that same book. He says, for you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. He wants them to grasp a hold of that reality. He wants them to realize the the calling that he has placed on their life that carries on into the New Testament. In 2 Thessalonians, it says, But we must always thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and through belief in the truth uh, peter even picks up on this he says to god's elect i told you you know there's another thing he's talking about chosen he's talking about like to god's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, galatia cappadocia asia bithynia who have been chosen you know, who have been chosen now you know we can use there's a whole doctrine of election and all this stuff you know you can you could get all worked up about this and, and don't do that you know and don't let don't let those things divide you look at what the bible says you know <clears throat> the god's elect and you have been chosen according to the far, foreknowledge of god the father through the sanctifying work of the spirit to be obedient to jesus christ and sprinkled with his blood grace and peace be yours in abundance a little bit later, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You're you, you, you grasping some of the pictures of these phrases. A holy nation. God's special possession. The reason that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light once you were not a people but now you are the people of god once you have not had not received mercy but now you have received mercy he says therefore as god's chosen ones holy and loved chosen by him to be holy and loved." both of these are acts of god both of these are things that god has done christ died for our sins because God loves us, and so we, that, that we can be holy, set apart, sanctified, uh, you know, for his purposes. Not, you know, not to live with ourselves as number one, but intentionally, obviously living with God as number one. Obviously living with him as number one. Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Here's the calling. Here's the calling. You, You do this and you live what? With God as number one. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her, there's that word again, holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Hebrews chapter two. Is, where's Dean? Is he further? Are you further than chapter two down there now? I Eleven. Good job. Uh, <coughs> uh, yeah. He, he says both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Isn't that the place you want to be where Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother? Where you are living in such a way that there is no embarrassment on his part at all. That there is no that there is, is nothing that there is nothing that would cause him uh, that, that that would that we would do that would cause his name to be besmirched that would cause his name to be looked down upon you know that we would be holy not ashamed to call them brothers he says you know there, therefore is god's chosen ones holy and loved put on put on he's talking about an intentionality here he says you know to put on intentionally do this Do these things on purpose. Do these things with purpose. Make these qualities what you strive for in your living. Intentionally intentionally make these qualities obvious in your living. Make these things stand out. Put them on. Make them obvious. We are not simply bumbling along. And we're not getting our direction in you know, our directives or direction from the values of the world or society. That's what he said. Therefore, not as the world, but therefore those things you're supposed to put off, put those off, and then therefore he says, here's what what you're to put on. You're not getting your values. You're not getting your directives from those who reject God. You're getting it from God. And he says to put these on. We are we are very intentionally pursuing, making these qualities that he talks about here part of our everyday living. They become obvious when they are part of your everyday living. As you go through all of the things that, you know, that make up your day, those things that are joyous as well as those things that kind of tick you off a little bit, you know, through all of those things that, that these qualities are very obvious because you are putting them on. You are intentionally pursuing making them part of your everyday living. Heart, he starts out, he says, heartfelt compassion. Some of the other translations say, a compa- have compassionate hearts. Uh, so, uh, a heart of compassion. Uh, tender-hearted mercy. These are some of the ways, you know, that that's translated. Uh, really what, what he's talking about here is trying to see the challenges that others are facing. Not, not simply turning a cold shoulder, you know, but that you are caring, that there's empathy there. Now, Jenny is a lot better than this that I am and she has helped me tremendously in this area i i, I can remember her saying to me years ago you know in, in my response to some people and she would say, you know they have feelings uh, you know they, it, that heartfelt compassion he goes on and says kindness now let's just start here with uh, just, just be nice oh she said that to me before too uh, be nice you know it speaks of a kindness of heart, a compassion in action is what this what this means that compassion in action it 's a moral goodness it goes on and says humility well, you know not proud what it 's talking about here is really not a destructive self absorbed pride you can certainly be. Uh, proud of your children, proud of a job well done, proud of um, you know the, your, your company, your you know your church, your family, your friends. Uh, but what he's talking about here is you know a, a modesty. Uh, the, the word m- means a littleness of mind. It's really it's speaking of habit, having a deep sense of moral littleness, and that comes as you see yourself in comparison to the greatness of God. That when you see how great God really is, and then you realize that He cares about you and loves you, and it brings starts to bring all of this in, in, into picture. There, this humility. He says, gentleness, a mildness of disposition, is what's talked about. Meekness. It's an inner disposition. This is again not something that comes natural for me. Uh, you know, gentleness. You know, uh, 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 that's. Something I, I need to put effort into and work on because, you know, it goes along with that heartfelt compassion. You know, you don't have compassion, you don't have much gentleness, but God has um, has taken me far from where I've been. I still have a long way to go, but gentleness and patience. Uh, that's the power to endure whatever comes. I like the way uh, um, the King James often translates this word, long-suffering, long, suffering, long. You're gonna you're gonna put up with it. You're gonna put up with a lot. That's what he say. Long suffering. You know that that power to endure, and you do it with a good temper. Uh, It's a slowness a slowness toward avenging a wrong. You know, and not striking out. And he goes on. He says, verse thirteen, accepting one another and forgiving one another. Now, one another here indicates this is particularly, but not exclusively, between those who know Christ you know not exclusively but you know he he is bringing up the thing here that you know those those others who know christ as their savior uh that in in particular you should be forgiving there you know should be that that, you know that is a part of what it is this is part of what we're called to you should be quicker to forgive those uh, who also uh, have a relationship with christ giving them more than the benefit of the doubt you know but but giving them the, the, that that uh, the, that extra leeway accepting and forgiving one well, accepting bearing with you know bearing with to sustain to bear that word means uh to endure to put up with the niv uh the 2011 version words this as make allowance for each other's faults hmm, i kind of like i kind of like that Uh, while it's not a a word-for-word translation i certainly like the you know what it says there to make allowance for each other's faults Uh, in context we could say here we're we're called to bear graciously bear graciously now look at look at those qualities there uh, that we are called to put on i mean look at the list you know that he has that you know that he has there that he's that he's talking about there and really it's talking about not pushing others away You know, these are all relationship-type qualities, you know, not avoiding others, not leaving others out. You see, your intentional actions are to include, not to exclude. You're not leaving others out. And here's, here's the thing. You're not leaving others out. Why? Well, because you forgive them. Because you forgive them. You know, we, sometimes we have a hard time with this. Somebody ticks us off, and what do we want to do? I'm pushing them away. I don't have to keep them away with a 10-foot pole because I'm going to stay further away than that. And this is a horrible thing, particularly when it happens between a husband and a wife. Silent treatment, we do it. It's unbiblical. There's no way that you can work out your differences if what you're going to do is just keep it all inside until they wise up that I'm right. You know, what they're they're talking about here, you know, is that that forgiveness, you know, and forgiving means you let go. It it means, you know, that I, I release my right to take revenge. God's people should never say, I don't get mad, I just get even. That is such an unbiblical statement. Is that the statement you want God to use in how he treats you? I don't get mad, I just get even and now that he's gone. Isn't that what it would be? It should never be the attitude of a Christian. Forgiveness means you take the loss. Forgiveness means you take the hit. We are forgiven. God forgave us. He took the hit. What do you think the cross was? God taking the hit for us there. It means he took the loss. Notice what it says. You forgive, it says, if anyone has a complaint against another. If anyone has a complaint against another. I would like to point out to you that you are part of anyone. If anyone has a complaint against another. Now here's the deal, the complaint is real. It doesn't minimize this at all. It doesn't say, oh, it wasn't that bad. It doesn't say, oh, you know, you're just making too much of it. It doesn't say that at all. What it says is the complaint is there and the complaint is real. But so is the call to forgive. The call to forgive is just as real. And for all of us to forgive if anyone has a complaint against another. We are called to forgive no matter the offense against you. This can be difficult. This can be very difficult. Let's just admit that right up front. This can be very difficult. Now, let me tell you, there, there may be some things you cannot forget. There, there may be some things that you cannot forget, but you still need to forgive. You may not forget them, but you still need to forgive Forgiving sets the other person free. They no longer owe you. Ooh, boy, that rubs us the wrong way, doesn't it? That just really pulls on the short hairs. You know, it, it's, it, 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 what do you mean set them free? But you need to realize that forgiveness also sets you free. It sets you free. You no longer have to look for ways to pay them back for what they did to you. You no longer have to come up with these, with these plans and these schemes to let them know what a jerk they are. To let them know how deeply they hurt you. To let them know what a, you know, that if you could flush them down the toilet, you would. You, we no longer have to come up with any of those things. You no longer have to be dominated. By the wrong done to you. You no longer have to be directed by the wrong done to you. When you forgive, you are set free from being directed. And having your life directed by that wrong that was done to you. You are free to leave the past in the past and live in today. But you say, you know, but I I can't forget what they did to me. I understand that we have all been there we have all had things done to us and the lingering hurts and they haunt us you know they they and they hurt us let me just give you a couple of thoughts on this you know i mean we've worked through this i've worked through this you've had to every time that thought comes to mind forgive them again i believe that's part of what what uh, jesus is telling peter when peter comes to him and he says you know, Lord, how many times could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and Peter thought he was being generous. Here's the question he was asking. How many times should I let my brother sin against me before I throttle him, before I punch his lights out, before I grab him around the neck and shake him until his little bobblehead falls off? I mean, maybe that wasn't the question, but it sure seems like it to me. How long until I can let him have it? How many times do I have to forgive until I can kick him so hard that, you know, he's going to sing soprano for the rest of his life? How many times, how many times do I have to forgive this guy? Seven times? Jesus said i tell you not as many as seven whoo that was good now see here's where if you take scripture and, and, and you know you want to proof text anything not as many as seven times i can punch you after the first one read the whole sentence jesus said to him but 70 times seven and again no he's not talking about 490 times what he's talking about there is is that you forgive as many times not only as many times as he does it but i can't forget every time it just starts to run through you once again and comes up and you think you're just going to barf. Forgive them again. Forgive them again. I've had to do this, you know, more than, more than one occasion. I've had to do this. And even yesterday, yesterday we're driving down 30. We went out to see Molly's basketball game and we're driving home. And as we're driving home, um, I go by this car and I swore it was somebody who um, really had, had, had done me wrong. Um, whether it was them or not, I don't know. But well, here's the thing. That's what came to mind. I had already worked on this sermon. I didn't have to work on this sermon. I already knew this. What did I need to do at that point? Get mad and run them off the road. Well... Um, you know, those things go through your, go through your mind. Um, no. You forgive them again. They didn't do, here's the, here's the deal, yesterday, they didn't do a stinking thing toward me. It's just that it came up once again, forgive again. As many times, as many times as that wretched thing comes up, you know, as many times as you throw up a little bit in your mouth, forgive again. Forgive again. This is what he's telling us to forgive again. You know, so, uh, you know, every time they come back, those thoughts come back, forgive again. Here's another thought for you you know, you need to quit feeding those thoughts. Quit feeding those thoughts of what they did to you. And you know as you quit feeding those thoughts you will find that they shrivel up. And they'll shrivel up and die or they will shrivel up and they and their power to dominate your life and to direct your life will lessen and lessen and lessen. And you know and it won't be there anymore and it will diminish to the point of no effect. And he says to forgive them notice what he says just as the Lord has forgiven you so you must also forgive the lord has forgiven us completely he has forgiven us completely he doesn't say i'll forgive you what you did i'll I'll forgive you for what you did but you know you know what I, i i won't forgive what you said about me that isn't what he says at all He doesn't say, I'll forgive what you did, but you know what? I'm just going to remember this the rest of my life and I'm going to hold it against you. He doesn't withhold. He doesn't withhold anything. He doesn't withhold himself. He doesn't withhold himself from us at all. God doesn't walk away with his arms folded until you decide that you're going to apologize, until you decide that you're going to admit that you were wrong and he was right. And he doesn't do that to us. And he doesn't judge us by our past. This is a tough one for us. This is a tough one for us to do. God doesn't say, "Well, last time you wasted what I gave you." He doesn't hold our past against us. This is not a wishy-washy forgiveness we're told to give. Just as the Lord has forgiven you. Notice the wording, you know, at the, it's an intentional forgiveness. It's a comprehensive forgiveness. It's an intense forgiveness. It's not, it's not you know, wishy-washy at all. The wording at the end of verse 13 really got my attention. <clears throat> he said, so you must also forgive. It's not worded as an option here that we may decline, but rather as direction that we need to follow. It's not, here's a choice for you. It's, you know what, you want your life to be, you want, you want your life to be, this. you need to do this, he's saying. You need to do this. As we reflect on this fact that the Lord has forgiven us, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. When we reflect on the fact that the Lord has forgiven us, you know we should extend that forgiveness to others is what he's telling us. Jesus relates a rather sobering, a rather sobering uh, teaching on this very reality. And it comes right after Peter's question that we just, you know, that we were were just looking at. He says, Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times should my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Uh, You know, he says, I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus said to him, but 70 times seven. And he goes on for this very next verse. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves when he began to settle accounts one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought before him since he had no way to pay it uh, to pay it back his master commanded that he and his wife and his children and everything he had be sold to pay the debt at this uh, the slave fell face down uh, before him and said be patient with me and i'll pay you everything okay he can't pay him everything. This 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 whole picture here of ten thousand talents. We're going to put this on, on equal terms. So when we get to the next couple of verses, you're going to understand what it is. This that that ten thousand that is sixty million denarii. Okay, that's sixty million denarii. That a denarii, a denarii is what a denarius is what a, a, a regular person would earn. It's 60 million of those. Okay, so where am I? Verse 26, I've got to find my spot. It says, At this the slave fell face down before him. and said, be patient with me. Uh, You know, I'll pay you back everything, liar. Uh, Then the master, that's just an ad lib there. Uh, Then the master of that slave had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. Here you go. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii. 60 million Sixty million forgiven. This guy owes him a hundred. Now a hundred, a hundred. It's not that. It's not that small of a amount. A hundred, a hundred denarii That's a, you know, if you're working almost every day of the year. Um, that's a third, a third of what you made in a year. So if you make $100,000, um, you know, a, a year, that's $33,000 that this person owes you. It's not exactly chump change. If you only make $33,000 a year, that's $11,000, uh, you know, that this guy owes you. It becomes a little bit more when you don't make as much, doesn't it? You know, I mean, it, it, it becomes, so this amount, it's not a small amount either, but it, it's minuscule in regard to his debt. So he owed him 100 denarii. It says he grabbed him, started choking him, because it must have been the eighth time. He grabbed him, started choking him, or the 491st time, uh, and and said, pay back what you owe. Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow slave fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Hmm. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But he wasn't willing. On the contrary, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other slaves saw what had, happened, what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Uh, then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, You wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? What's that verse say? Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Shouldn't you have also had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And his master got angry, handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each one of you does not forgive his brother from his heart, I think forgiveness is pretty, the importance of forgiveness is pretty clear here. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And if you don't, you know, if each one of you does not forgive his brother, now you can get your shizzle and a twizzle about this whole thing, but, you know, about verse 35 here, but have you ever, have you, have you ever prayed and forgive me my trespasses, forgive me my debts, Forgive me my sins as I also forgive those who, you know, as I forgive those who sin against me. Did you, did you, did you mean that? Did you mean it when you ask God not to forgive you unless you are also a forgiving person? Did you really mean that to only be as forgiving as you are? That you want God to be just as forgiving as you are? No, he says, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Don't don't ignore the importance to forgive others. Just as the Lord has forgiven you. You alright out there? Uh... Following the Lord can be, can be quite challenging when you take it seriously. You know, when you take it seriously. Last verse, let's hit it. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Again, put on. Make it obvious. Make this an obvious trait in your life that when people look at you, they will see this, this trait of love. Put it on intentionally, regularly, consistently love others. This is what he's telling us. The importance of acting, it cannot be overstated. It is essential, essential that we act in love toward others. Notice what it says, above all. What hits the level of above all in your life? What is on that list of above all? In your life. What hits that level? Here he's telling us above all. What should be on that level. What should be on that list. Is love. Is love on your list of above all? It's so important that Peter brings it up. You know, Paul wrote to the Colossians. uh, Here Peter, Peter is writing and he says, above all. There's that phrase again above all maintain an intense love for each other since love covers a multitude of sins there's that forgiveness again there's that there's that picture of forgiveness again it's not saying you don't pretend like they didn't happen what it says is that you're extending forgiveness. Why? Because you're maintaining an intense love for each other. Jesus tells us the importance of this love. He says, "I give you a new command: love one another, just as I have loved." you in the same thing he's calling us to here just as the lord has forgiven you so you must forgive he says he says you know i give you a new command love one another just as i have loved you there's your level of love that you're called to there's the extent of love that you're called to just as i have loved you so you must must also love one another By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If that love is obvious in your life, he says, if that love is obvious, if you are being obvious with your love, he says, then they'll know that you are mine. I hear the call is put on the same type of love that God showed. Intense love that intense love a giving love an unselfish love a, a love that seeks the best for the other person with no regard for return this is the love he called that's the love that is the love that god shows john 3:16 for god loved the world in this way god loved the world with this intensity he loved the world with this intensity of love That he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's the love that God shows. I like the way the Amplified Bible puts verse 14 in Colossians 3 here. It says, beyond all these things, put on and wrap yourself. Put these right out front where people are going to see it. Make it obvious that when they look at you, put on and wrap yourselves in unselfish love, which is the perfect bond of unity for everything is bound together in agreement with each one seeks the best for another. When I look at all of these qualities that I that we see listed here, I see the life of Christ. I see the way Jesus lived as he walked this earth. We're called to put on these qualities we see in the life of Christ. To make them obvious in our living. Heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Accepting one another and forgiving one another. You know, and have that intense love that works for the benefit of the other person. Be a person that is embodying. Obviously embodying the qualities of Christ Jesus. Put them on. Make them obvious in your living. Out front. So that when people see you, they see the qualities of Christ living through you. You are His living example here on this earth let's pray together father thank you for those who have loved us and those who have shown us your love by the way that they love i thank you that those who uh, you have put in our lives and can show us father um, and when we put all of them together would we get a fuller picture and even fuller picture Of what a gracious God you are. What a loving God you are. What a forgiving God you are. And we can't separate any of these. We can't pull out one and leave the others behind. We need to have them all. All evident and obvious in our life, in our living. Help us to be obvious. Obviously yours. To your glory and honor, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.